Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. This is two season two. We broadcast live on Facebook. You might be watching us on a replay. You might be watching us live. You might be listening to the Nonprofit Exchange on your smartphone, your device, in a podcast. So we've got a, a timeless subject today, like we try to have most of the time. Russell, this is going to be about grants. Now, you know a little bit about grants, so I bet you're going to come up with some really good questions for our guests. How are you today, my friend? It's another wonderful day here in Denver, Colorado, and hey, that's the way to rev up, rev up the resource engine for your nonprofit is to get grants. And Beverly's the grant guru. She's going to tell you how to do that. Russell, David Dennis never has a bad day. He's, he's my inspiration. So um, <clears throat> Beverly, um, yes. thank, you, thank you for being our guest today. Beverly Burgess is known as the grant guru. So start out with um, who named you that, and then tell us a little bit about yourself. You've had quite a background. You've got quite a background. Well, um, I started teaching back in 2016 at a church, a local church, Harvest Baptist Church for free. I wanted to educate the community about grants, struggling businesses, what was available to them. And then my, then I went on to start teaching at the Orange County Library System. And I, all my classes were free for, for two years. I, I just did it out of my own pocket. Then my students collaborated one day when I came into class and told me they had a new name for me. And I said, this better be good. <laughs> and they said, we have decided to name you. And Shirley Childs was the ringleader on it, the grant guru. And I said, well, why would you name me the grant guru? They say, because when it comes to grants, you know everything or you know how to find it and you know how to research it and you have an extensive background in corporate grants and working at the state level. And so that's how my name came about and it stuck. Um, but as far as my back, my history is, I spent 12 years with the state of Florida. I worked for Governor Lawton Childs, Bob Graham, Charlie Chris, a little bit of work for Governor Rick Scott. Then I uh, did that for 12 years with the Department of Labor, Employment and Training. The division I worked for was the Bureau of Apprenticeship, where I actually designed grants, implemented programs, wrote them. And then I turned around, uh, my, myself and my colleagues, we went and got the funding to implement that program. Some of the clients we worked with were NASA, Lockheed, Mark Marietta, JATC, Steel Workers of America, pipe, um, plumbers and pipe fitters. I mean, ABC, we did it all, city and county. And those programs were implemented for high school students that dropped out at 16. They would stay in our program, apprenticeship program, for two years. And when they graduated, they had a job with that company. And the state of Florida would pay those businesses over $2,000 a month per student to be in that apprenticeship program. Or they would fund them for a number of years. Then I went ahead. Once that was, for some reason, they decided to downsize us and eliminate us. I went to work for HUD in the private Section 8 owner arena, helping private owners get millions of dollars to put up multifamily housing, senior housing, veteran housing. Um, mm -hmm. I, was, I was very good at it, very skilled at it. Um, it was nothing for me to leave with 20 to $48 million. So that's my background. Those are big numbers. So oh, yeah. Beverly, um, um, we have, I'm going to, I'm going to promote somebody in here to be, um, be a, a talking guest, but this, there's at least, uh, uh, one and a half million 501c3s out there. And probably you add the, the membership organizations like chambers and associations, yes. sixes, mm -hmm. and governments and education and all the others, you know, you have a whole bunch of charitable organizations. Um, yes. Why don't they receive grants? They, they're thinking we're going to get grants, but they're not. 
Well, it's not that they can't receive the grants. It's that the fact that a lot of them don't understand the paperwork behind the grant. There's a lot of steps steps to just, you know, implementing your company and receiving a grant. You have to do the paperwork with the state of Florida EIN number. A lot of the nonprofits don't know they need a DUNS number and that they need to register with SAM.gov. There's a lot of steps to it. And so when they start a nonprofit, they think, okay, I'm registered with the state, I have an EIN number, and I'm 501c certified. They think that's the end. But there's other ingredients, it's like baking a pie, that go into that pie. That So when you apply for the grant, the grant is awarded. You know, some of, some of them don't know that about capacity, that they need to have capacity. It's like a resume of what is your nonprofit done in the community? How many people have they helped? Because, you know, 20 years ago, this was not asked for. Now, you know, there's a grant scoring system. You know, they score you between one and 100 on certain things. And, you know, capacity is real big because they want to know, okay, if we give you $15 million, you know, what are you going to do with this money and how are you going to be accountable for it? I've even had some nonprofits tell me, oh, we've done everything. Find out they don't even have a bank account. I said, you got to have a bank account. They don't send a check in the mail. They wire the funds in. You know, the funds are wired in through the WAS system. And, you know, I've, I've had people argue with me and say, oh, I don't, can I put it in my personal account? I said, no. The funds have to stay separate. When you start a nonprofit, the funding and the accountability has to stand on its own. I had a young lady that got $12 million. And, and when we went to the bank and I had to show her how to do things, she literally passed out in SunTrust. She didn't know how to handle that kind of money. So then that becomes a part of financial wealth. You don't get $12 million and decide to go shopping for Gucci and Prada. No, it's the nonprofit's money. It has to go into the bank account. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and typically, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, there's a, an accounting process. You have to report back about the impact of, of yeah. your work. Yeah. And so this capacity piece, I think there's another component I'd like to probe a little bit. I find that a lot of the nonprofits that I see don't have a clue about where they're going. Like they haven't built a plan, a strategic plan. And it they, would seem they, to me that you need that to be able to, to get the money. So talk about you know, that foundational work they need. Well, strategically, I, I, I encourage all nonprofits, if you don't know something, ask the experts like yourself, Hugh, uh, Russell, you know, um, Dana that's on here. Is it Dana, Dana? Or, yeah. You know, the other person that's on here, you know, and partnership with people that are good at this because capacity will weigh in for your grant at least 40 to 50% because they will ask that question. Strategically, have a business plan. Know where you're going in a year, three years, five years, 10, 20. Okay, after you retire, who's who's going to pick up the, the, the reins or, or the bar and say, I'm going to carry on for who you believe? You know, you got to know this information. And if you don't know it, I teach classes on this. I teach people that, it's not about just the paperwork. It's strategically laying this out every single day as to how you're going to do this and where it's going to go. It's like driving a car. If you don't drive in a straight line, you will go off a cliff, okay? We don't want you going off a cliff. We want you to stay in the straight line. <laughs> stay, between, stay between the white lines. <laughs> so, so Beverly, in, in our work, um, Russell and... and, and Dana Olivo is in, in Orlando. She's down in your neck of the woods. Okay. And, and she's a she's a strategist. She's also marketing. So it's her company's marketing Academy. But um, Dana and Russell are part of the Cinevision team. And I think we're probably going to adopt um, Beverly. Um, she brings a different different uh, expertise to us. And we're uh, just just to be transparent, we're talking about Beverly doing some work for Cinevision in the grant space. So we're all learning. And uh, Beverly, we have um, very good groups of, a very good group of, way, we call them wayfinders because mm -hmm. we, we work with the nonprofits to help guide the way. Um, rather than giving them all the answers, we help them find the right answer and the next right answer for them and build their capacity. 
Correct. Uh, and and so we um, we recently got acquainted. Uh, one short conversation with you. I knew you knew your stuff, and so I wanted to have you share with other people. Um, but I also wanted to be very transparent that we're talking about um, working together as well. Um, let me in introduce here down in Orlando, Florida. Uh, Dana is is one of the experts on our team, and she and I are working on some projects together. Russ and I have been working together for many years. Um, Russ had hair and I had dark hair when we started. <laughs> See what happens when you work with me, you know, lose your hair. <laughs> but, um, and so um, we find a lot of organizations haven't thought through just what you're talking about. So we, we make a differentiation. Um, a business plan is a financial document that you give to a funder. And a strategic plan is more robust. It's your nuts and bolts of where you're going to go, how you're going to get there. It's an operational plan. And, right. and, and in Center Vision, we've created a very special format for strategic planning. We call a solution map. So it's, it's a fundamental strategic plan, but it's a solution map with some very specific rubrics for, for nonprofits. So the, the top reasons that um, nonprofits don't get grants, I'm, I'm imagining number one is they don't ask. <laughs> They, they really don't. And I, I find it so strange because working for the state of Florida, we dealt with corporations that have money to give away. And the rule of thumb is when Obama was in office, he put it on the books. If they don't, if they turn a profit and they don't give back to the community, they get hit or taxed 55%. I get calls from corporations every day saying, you know, we have some funding, Beverly, we would like to contribute to someone in the community that's doing the right thing, you know, that has, has dotted the I's crossed their T's. And I just don't give that information out freely. I want someone that when I do recommend you, you know where, you, where you're at, where you're going, what you're doing, the whole nine yards. A lot of these, you know, small uh, nonprofits and even some of the big ones have kind of lost their way on that. And corporations tell me all the time, we have money but nobody ever asked. Just like banks have the CRA grant, the Community Reinvestment Act. The banks can give away up to $200,000. SunTrust has one form you have to fill out. Do you know they told me nobody ever come in here and ask for it? Oh my word. Banks have that, Obama put it on the books. I even researched stuff going back to 1978 that is on the books, still on the books to this very day. Public information that people just don't ask. So if you don't ask, you don't get it. Oh my goodness. So so there's there's a there's a list of reasons why nonprofits don't get funded. They don't ask. They don't have an expert who knows uh, well you need to know where the money is, uh, Beverly, but I also think you, you need somebody that's got the relationship and the understanding of how to how to communicate with the funder, right? Right, how to build that relationship, you know. I mean, if you go into banks like SunTrust, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, you know, you know, all these banks have access to this information. And if you ask them and start building that relationship, they will give. But on the other part, on, this, on the other hand, you as a nonprofit need to have your documents, everything ready to go in place. Who's on your board? What is your capacity? Where are you going in five years? You know, if you don't know the answer to the question is question, get with someone that can direct you or come up with a solution map and you navigate that. And you, you know, what I started doing with my students, when I teach a class, I give them all a notebook and they, and it's 69 cents at Office Depot. And they say, why did you give us a notebook? I said, you know, all that work you're doing, I want you to put it in the notebook and I want each section section off. I want you to be able to tell me within the next 90 days what you've completed, the information you have, what you've done, because that's the roadmap. I don't want you scrambling, not knowing. So when they pick up that notebook, all that information is in one book. Hey, I, you know what? We got that same methodology. Yeah. <laughs> in, in graduate school, I kept my notebooks down at the University of South Florida. And I used that the rest of my career because I made these these resource books and our our methodology that people people learn we have them printed out we don't give them the whole book they print it out and they put it in their workbook. Uh, Russell has courses, Anna has 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 courses. So um, we're looking at 
getting the funding from from available grants. Now, people tell me, oh, it's very competitive. There's not enough money to go around. Is that true? That is not true. There is so much money with the VA. It's, it's just heartbreaking. I, and I, I work with a person that is a VA liaison between Orlando and DC. DC. The, the VA had made so many mistakes with our veterans. They're, they have always been 20 years behind. They are at a point now that VA actually wants to do outside contracting because there is a demand, not only to, for veteran and veteran services and to take care of our men and women that have fought for our freedom, but now this is an opportunity for you to build a relationship with VA. If you know how to strategically put your book and your information together, set a meeting, go in and talk to VA, and I tell my students, I don't care if it takes 10 meetings. When you do get accepted by VA, I can honestly tell you within five years, you could retire as a self-made millionaire because it's just that much work with the VA. They are so backlogged and I hear it from, from the top brass to the down to the people on the bottom. There is so much work with the VA, it's a joke. And the biggest issue now is getting those mental health services for our veterans and getting them housing. Those are the two issues that VA is faced with right now. Oh, wow. Wow. So um, I'm going to ask my other co-host on here to take a turn, Russell. Um, Russell worked with uh, an Indian tribe for 11 years uh, doing fund sourcing and writing grants and stuff. So he knows a little bit about the topic. And he also had a history working with IRS. So he knows both sides of that. So Russell, you got some thoughts or some questions for Beverly today? Yes, well, it's good to be here and good to see you. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you. And, uh, you know, grants, uh, uh, you know, a, a question that, that is rarely asked is, is what would make us fundable? What makes us a good partner? What, what do people we're looking at want from us in, in order to write us a check? And so, uh, I, you know, the whole process of going out and looking for grants is called grant seeking. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and you know this well. Uh, what do you think is the best way to approach grant seeking for a nonprofit? Well, the best way to approach grant seeking is to identify where you're going. You know, because I get people that want to go in 20 different directions. I say, hold it. Let's narrow this down to one thing. Because they're so excited, they do not understand we got to do this step by step here. So we narrow it down to one thing and then we complete that and then we move on to something else. And I think that people get overwhelmed when they they see the opportunity, they know they can do it, but they want to add all this food to their plate and there's no room on the plate. I say, we got to start with one thing. And for some people, it's very disheartening. They don't want me to say that. I said, but would you rather me lie to you or be honest with you? And I'm totally honest because, well, we got a need for this and we got a need for that. Hold it. We're going to do one thing at a time. Because you got to first get through those hurdles. And I train my clients to learn how to do this process on their self, with themselves. And I get a lot of resistance because I had a minister tell me on Sunday, well, I just want you to stay with me forever. And I said, I can't do that. <laughs> I want you to learn the process. So when you're doing grants, you can identify the next grant and you'll know what you're doing. And a lot of people also don't understand capacity. They don't understand strategic relationships. They don't understand solution maps. So what was not required 20, 25 years ago is now required in the grant-seeking world. And they want to do too much. And they get upset with me when I say, we're going to do one thing at a time. Because if you don't understand the beginning, you can't understand the end of it. And I, I think that's where we're at. She's done this before, Russell. Yeah. Um, we, and Beverly is another factor. Um, several organizations going together in a collaborative effort. Like you and I talked to a veterans organization in Florida this morning. If we were talking about working together on, on something, is, is that, does that make us more fundable or not? 
it does make you more fundable but i want people to understand when you're work, you're collaborating everybody has to be on the same page you know yes we're going to agree to disagree but we have to have common ground and common interest for all parties involved because you may get somebody out here in left field that doesn't understand where you're going you know where you're going but they're driving off the cliff and you have to understand also um, you have to know when to fire people because I have, you know, I know when to tell people no and when to fire them and say, hey, you know, this is a collaboration. This is not about you. This is about everyone involved. And if you, you know, after you sit down and talk to a person, and this is just a, you know, the strike three rule with me, you know, I come to a decision that if we can't agree to disagree respectfully, and collaborate and benefit all parties, then this is not a good relationship. We need to get a divorce, you know? And then, you know, and I've had people say, Beverly, I was wrong and they wanna come back to me and I'm all for second chances, but collaboration is good because you bring in somebody that is, that may be stronger. You, like I'm not a good marketing person. Well, I'm gonna go to Dana for that because I, I can't market, but I can find you some money. That's my strong point. But when it comes to business plans and marketing, that's not my lane. So I stay in, I stay in my lane. That's smart. A lot of good sound bites here, Russell. Loads of them. You know, and it's all about working from your wheelhouse. That's what makes collaboration work because everybody's working from their strengths so that the, the sum total of the effort, the, the group is stronger together than the sum total of the parts. And it's, here's, here's the thing that I get, and I'm sure you get fairly regularly. People approach you and say, hey, we're a new organization and nobody wants to give us any money. Is there a workaround? How do we handle that particular situation? Well, I get that question every day. And it's not that they don't want to give them money. You, it's just like when you start a new job, you have to prove yourself. You have to know what you're doing. Um, like Publix, for instance. Publix gives away $5,000 a month. Start somewhere. But when you go into Publix and you're dealing with Publix, make sure you've dotted your I's, you've crossed your T's, you've done your paperwork, because the Publix heir is just not going to write you a check. She's looking to write this money off because she's made a profit, okay? But in order for her to justify giving you that money, you have to have your act together. And you know, the money is there. I mean, I've, I've seen people get small grants for 10,000, 5,000, 20,000, but these new organizations collaborated, the wheelhouse was strong, they had their paperwork together, they knew which direction they were going. Good, good. So, so Dana's been very patient though. She's got a whole bunch of questions in the queue. So um, Dana, pick one and, and um, share it with Beverly. Holy crap, I'm dying here, Beverly. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to know why we haven't yet, if you're here, here in Orlando, so we got to get together. Yes, um, we got to go to lunch. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> dinner, but, dinner, uh, dinner. <laughs> just so that you know, I, you know, you know uh, my background is marketing, but I approach marketing from, from a different aspect as, as a strategist. I am more, more a seeker. Okay, so what that means is as I'm into these, these companies, once they have the vision, I work, work with them to sequence through the events to keep that needle moving forward, you know, as they grow, okay? Well, you know, I work with both for-profits and more purpose companies, okay? <laughs> but, I, I, you know, you talked about the duds. You, you talked about, you know, when, when you're, when the, the paperwork that has, has to be through the federal, the federal government. And I am in a, what do we call quagmire, or whatever you want to call it. I'm, I'm in a world right now trying to get my SAM registration. <laughs> oh, I know about SAM. <laughs> I'm telling you, I have been trying to do this for over a year, okay? But yesterday, I'm on the phone with, with them. They've got my number, and I'm also registered on the event. But what the girl is telling me is says they're so backed up that the only way that you're going to be able to get through is you, is you have to pay a minimum of five dollars to $600 for us to do it, do it. And we'll do it in 14 days. And, I, and I'm sitting here and saying, wait a minute. They're not advertising that. They're advertising this is a, this is a free service. 
Sam is a free service. Sam is a free service through the government. They've never charged in all the years that we dealt with them. So, you know, that's someone trying to piggyback off of Sam and make a turn a profit. And it's really, it's not allowed because you can reach Sam.gov 24-7, 365 days a year. And when I had a problem, yeah, yeah when I had a problem, they, they went in and they, yeah. fixed it. they fixed it for me right there. And well, I, 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 I say I'm done. And you know what? When I did it, and I teach classes on Sam, I got um, my Sam done in one day, an hour and a half. So we're. Well, I'm going to need to talk to you because if this, this is one of the hurdles nonprofits or profits have to, have to go through, correct? And we can even get that that process done. And you can't go for grant money else you have. That. Have you must be registered in the SAM system, and I'm yeah. even working to reach out to the head of the SAM.gov. And I, you know, and I told them because I'm very, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I'm very aggressive about SAM because I know the inner workings of SAM. So okay, when you have I'm that knowledge, I'm a sick <laughs> you on, on them for me. <laughs> um, before we go further here, let's define what SAM is. And Dana, if you check your sound, you've got this double thing. It's echoing. I don't know what it is. Do you have another device turned on? Are your spe speakers mm -hmm. coming through your microphone? I'm, we're hearing you double. You're uh, I know, but hold on. Yeah. Russ and I were muted when it was happened, so you can't, it's not us. So, okay, uh, go ahead. Beverly, Beverly, tell us what SAM is and why this is important. Well, SAM.gov is a registration system that the government came up with that when you pay your hard-earned money, your taxes, it all goes back to the government and they create grants, okay? And they put that system in place for, for, for nonprofits and, not, and for-profit entities to do business with the government. Well, it, when it first came out, it was not a great system, but now they fine-tune it because of all the social media aspects, technology, and everything. And what Sam wants you to do is register in their system and they, they double check to make sure you are a legal entity that can do business in the United States because of all the foreign relationships we have. But what most people do not realize with Sam.gov is that, and, they, and I've had this question put to me, why is it that when people from China or Japan come over here, they can open up a shop like that? What most people do not understand that the, the U.S. has a relationship with foreign entities. When Hiroshima happened, the U.S. cut a deal that said, okay, this is how we're going to make up for it. We're going to give your people grants when they come to our country. So grants are actually given to foreign people, people from other countries that, that we have a relationship with to come to this country to start a business entity. And most people don't understand that. These are trade relations and agreements that our government put on the books back in the 60s and the 70s to do this with other countries. So the SAM system was implemented to verify that as a business or a nonprofit, you are telling us you have the authority to do business with us. Sorry, I don't know that one. That's what the SAM system is. And they will verify it and they get you to go in and update your information every year. If you don't, when they send you that email from the system, if you don't respond to that email, I believe it's in seven to 10 business days, they'll go in and delete you out. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah, I'm still here. Um, well, let me unmute you, Dana. Um, well, I, can you unmute yourself? I can't make it. Um, there you are. Um, and that's, that's exactly what happened the first time with me. Yeah. Is they went in and they deleted, but I have never gotten that confirmation from Sam. Yeah, and I'm they'll send your email, and that's what I do. I tell people, print your emails out that they send you because they will ask you to fax it. And the SAM system has always been free. They have never charged. The SAM system even gives classes on learning grants one-on-one, believe it or not. They have mm -hmm. an onboarding system that would actually go in and teach you how to do a grant with them and how to apply for it because SAM system used to be hard copy. Not everything is electronic. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, Beverly... Um, I'm, um, from my experience, there's some there's some... 
fundamental benchmarks that need to be in place before a nonprofit even considers hiring you to write a grant. Number one, they have to have a strategy. It clearly defines why they exist, who their clients are, and the kind of work they do. They also have to be very, uh, they have to have a board of directors that's active. And some private foundations I know require that all the board members be donors as well. And, And there needs to be a very clear statement of the impact of the work that they're proposing. Or am I right? Those are some of the key factors. And if so, those are some of the key factors that need to be in place. And when you're looking at people that are going to be on your board, you need to make sure that the people that are serving on your board have the ability to serve, that they're committed to it, that they're just not there for the notoriety. Um, When I started my board, the state of Florida only requires me to have three people. Now I'm adding four more people to my board because I want that. I want that transparency of diversity on my board and you know i mean i've had conversations with the former vice president of disney lee cockerell all the way to county commissioners and when people believe in your mission statement and your vision you won't have a problem getting people in a position of power to get behind you because when you have people in a position of power on your board that speaks volumes and believe me it carries a lot of weight now, Beverly, in conversation about um, some of your veterans projects, and um, you're an expert on getting veterans funded, you um, and you're expert on federal and state grants. You happen to be in yes. Florida, and you know, you know the player. Now, you used to used to work for the state, and you had some pretty good education how this all works, and you got to know some of the right people. Yes, is that, is that right? Yes, I did. Yeah, I got to I got to know the governors very well because we had to report into them every month. <laughs> I got to know the heads of the departments that were making the the ultimate decisions on whether um, would the Department of Labor, Employment, and Training be making the decision to fund that program. I actually uh, was given the opportunity, and I was very humbled by it. I co-wrote the uh, daycare. Uh, portion for the state of Florida when it came to daycares that you see on the books today. Uh, I worked under Mr. William E. Livingood. Uh, He has passed on, but he was the executive director for the Bureau of Apprenticeship. And he was well-versed in how programs should be set up, training should go, development should go. Um, We were talking strategic planning 12, 15 years ago, and nobody was doing it but us. And in how things should be set out, you know, and laid out for nonprofit and for-profit entities. And a lot of people do not understand that just because you are for-profit business doesn't mean there isn't a grant for you. When a grant says unrestricted, that means anybody can apply for it, you know. Um, I was just approached by the Cherokee Nation. They want to put up 400 units on Silverstar right here in Orlando. Um, and, and, you know, they come, they were like, what do we need to do? Because they did not understand it. So we're putting something in place for them to strategically lay it out because putting up 400 units for veterans, that's not an easy task, but it can be done. Um, Yes. Russell, was that you? Uh, no, but here I am (laughs) now working with veterans is something that I've done too, you know? So really, I'm thinking back to the old days when you had the central contract registry before they created. Yes, I remember it. Which for for those that don't know, it's a system of award management. Correct. So that's your on-ramp to federal programs, which are generally larger. So there's a couple of guides. They've got guides out there. And and you can call Beverly. She can walk you through the steps. Uh, I'm a veteran, so I put my business on that registry, and it wasn't really too bad. We, we've got some resources here in Colorado that help veterans kind of plug in the contracts. And, but there is a lot of money out there, so it's really having that process of, of knowing what it is that you can do and, and being able to do it, to be able to articulate how you're going to get it done and, and teaming with people. There's a lot of money out there, but the problem is that a lot of these entities and agencies have just as much, if not more, trouble 
getting this money into good projects as nonprofits have getting those funds. Absolutely. So, so, so talk about some of the relationships that you built uh, with different funding agencies and different types of funding agencies. Well, one of the funding agencies I had a relationship with was probation and parole. The state of Florida wanted to, when young women and men were coming out of the system, they just did not want them to linger. They wanted to develop a program that would give them a skill set or techn technical knowledge of, of how to work in a particular industry. And that is when Mr. William Livingood went to NASA. And then he didn't stop at NASA. He went to Martin Marietta and Lockheed. And he felt very strongly about second chances. And I remember one of the students, um, David was in our program and he, no, everybody had given up on him except Mr. Livingood and he got him in with NASA. Uh, David went through our two year, to the, through the whole two year training process. And once he graduated, cause we will actually go to the site or the school and we will graduate them and hand them their certificate. Uh, to this very day, David is still working with NASA 25 years later. You know, um, probation and parole, um, children and families we've worked with. Uh, we worked with the city of Orlando. We worked with the county. The city wanted to do a plumbing program to, to not only give their people more experience, but if you wanted to start your own plumbing company, you were certified by the state of Florida. You had jumped all the hoops. Um, you, it was just so many we worked with. And JATC, ABC, Pike Fitters of America, Steelworkers of America. I mean, we did the union and non-union programs. I mean, it was, I, I am very humbled by what I learned under Mr. Livingood. He was my, my, my boss, my colleague, my friend, my mentor. And those were the hard knocks, you know, when computers were just coming online and, you know, you sat down and you read a book and you learned it. So I, I had the opportunity. I think I've worked with just about every agency in the state of Florida at, one, at some point through uh, uh, the Bureau of Apprenticeship Programs. Is there um, a difference, Beverly, in... Um private foundation grants and government grants, there's some, some people feel like government grants have a lot of red tape, a, a lot of negative to them. Is there any, is there a difference? I mean, there is a difference and some of the government grants do have red tape, some don't, but the same can be said about private, private foundations as well, because private foundations want to know, and some of them have gotten very, you know, strategic and when you come before that board and that private foundation, they ask you some hard questions and they want to know where's the money going? How's it going to be allocated? What are you going to do with it in the community? Who is it going to benefit? You know, foundations are just not saying we're just going to give away our money. No, there is a book about that thick that you have to play by the rules. And if you can't play by the foundation rules, you shouldn't apply for the money because once again, it comes down to transparency and accountability. And because once that foundation's name is on the line, if you go out there and say, okay, I think I'm just going to go, I'm going to disappear with all the money. And then the foundation begins to wonder, well, who did we give our money to? So foundations have implemented processors to check, double check, and triple check who are we giving our money to. Mm -hmm. Because there are endowments attached, people leave their estates to foundations. You're talking billions of dollars. And there's a lot of <laughs> unrewarded, right? It's a lot that goes unrewarded. Um, because uh, once again, the paperwork was not done right. And it, so it doesn't get awarded to a worthy cause because there was. It a doesn't get problem. awarded to a worthy cause. And then the foundation board has the ultimate power. Mostly seven people sit on the board, but that one vote can make a, make the determination if that grant or that money will get awarded to that nonprofit or for-profit entity or not. And for how many years it will be awarded, but the checks and balances are still in place. We were talking about accountability earlier. Um, most grants I know of have, have a reporting process that you've spent the money, you have to report what the results were. 
What, Correct. Um, is it good to hire somebody to be an admin to administer the grant and write that into the grant? Yeah, it's, it's good. I will always recommend having a compliance officer, someone that's about compliance, because the compliance officer is not going to play favors. The compliance officer is there to make sure that if you got $50,000, the $50,000 went where it was supposed to get, went not, not a shopping spree. And I've worked with HUD in compliance, and I've also been a private Section 8 compliance officer. So I've been on both sides of the coin. My job was to make sure that when I went and got HUD money for my owners, that he did what he was supposed to do. Um, I actually got fired one time because I decided to comply with HUD. And I said, they didn't give you $20 million to go down to Miami and buy a yacht. They gave you $20 million to put into your properties that are falling apart. He actually fired me. And two days later, he called me back because HUD said, you had one of the best compliant officers on your property. Where is she? Whoa. Because I did it by the book. And I wasn't going to play favors. So that compliance officer is just like the chief financial officers, checks and balances all day, every day. And I did it by the book because if I need another $20 million, they're going to give it to me because I I am in compliance with the rules, regulations, and the protocols. So there's a good reason for hiring somebody like Beverly. And we're going to talk about your 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 grant event, but we're also uh, Dana and and Russell. We're talking about maybe producing a Center Vision Summit in Orlando, and that would be uh, Beverly's doing an event in May, so we could do some of our leadership summits where we talk about strategy, board development, and fund sourcing. And um, that would be a good place to get people up to speed so they can get more out of your, 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 your grant workshop. I'm going to go back to, uh, to Dana. She's thrown a few questions into the chat space here. See if she's got a, see if she's got a, let's stump the guest. Dana, you got a hard question there? <laughs> oh gosh. Dana and I are going to have so much fun. <laughs> You know, and, and I love the way that you were talking about the accountability and, you know, the com compliance acts and things, things like that, both on the nonprofit and the for-profit right. side. Um, you know, what a lot of nonprofits just don't realize, they think that they can handle the book, bookkeeping, hoarding, things like that themselves. And with, with who I've spoken with, and I used to sit on the board for um, a nonprofit here, you know, you know as well. There's a, there's a lot of um, things, things that you don't, don't really realize you don't have the qualifications for it. And you're better off hiring somebody who actually can handle a lot of stuff for you. Right? You're better off because it takes you out of the loop and it takes the responsibility off of your shoulders because that person is specifically trained in that industry. So, I, like I said, if I don't know something, I go to the person that's trained in that industry. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and I and I and I say, hey, I need your help because I don't know what I'm doing over here. Now, one of the questions, and this is a marketing question now, Beverly. Okay. <laughs> It, it, it's a it's a marketing branding question. Okay. okay. You know, you know, it's, it's there's so many nonprofits. Yes. Are 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 starting up. They they you know they've got got good hearts and things like that. You know, as far as what what they do. But the, the problem is, is is there's there's an issue where if they aren't compliant, if they if they're not, not following the rules, the competitive edge out there. Yes. How can these nonprofits position themselves as a true, um, um, honest nonprofit rather than just one of those that is cropping up there to, to collect money because, you know, some of them are doing it Ill illegally. Mm -hmm. you know, and some, some of them doing it because, yes, it is true to their heart. They, they want, especially in the vet community. Yes. We've got so many of them, you know, you know, here in Orlando alone. Mm -hmm. and, and, um, and when I speak to them, I tell them, I says, look guys, you know, you know, you've got so much competition. You're all, all going to go into the same dollars, you know, and things like that. How do you set yourself apart from everybody else out there to help these guys? Well, I think the, the key component to setting yourself apart because the edge is so competitive right now is implementing compliance. 
because not only, you know, it, it, it says to the person overseeing that grant or that money, hmm, they really got their act together. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't just stop at going to the bank and putting the money in the bank and opening the checking and savings account for $100. It shows that you are trustworthy and that you are going to do the right things with the money. A lot of nonprofits that I've talked to, um, yesterday I had 15 pastors call me and they want to do a 300 pastor conference on what I teach. Um, compliance is very, very big because, you know, it shows that you have enough common sense to say, hey, I know some things, I don't know everything, but what I don't know, my compliance officer can answer to that. And that is a person or a CPA or a company specifically trained in that arena can answer the questions to the person overseeing that grant, port, that let's say $20 million grant, and can give them the justification as to why it should be awarded to you. Because you've dotted the I's, you've crossed the T's, you've jumped the hoops, but compliance drives it home, having certain people on your board drives it home because these are people in position of power, but these people in position of power are not going to let you smear their reputation because you did something wrong. No, you put it in the hands of someone that knows what they're doing and can justify where the money is going. And that way that, hey, that, that takes it away from the board, that takes it away from you, that's, hey, you get, if they say you get a check every two weeks, here it is. This is all you get. That's it. If they say we're going to reimburse you for travel, where are the receipts? Because once again, compliance, compliance, compliance means that we can justify the 20 million. And especially when you save money, trust me, the person looking at a grant loves when you save money because once again, it shows responsibility, accountability, transparency, and that you can be trusted with the government's money. Once that trust is earned, you can get whatever you want out of them. And we say to these these um, these nonprofits are raising their dollars, sponsor dollars, putting it, it in their own personal bank account. That is a big no-no. And it comes under the RICO Act. And I tell people that all the time. You cannot take a check from the government and go put it in your bank account. It doesn't work like that. You have to have that account set up so when that money comes in and they use the WASP system now to wire your money in, and if they do send a hard, hard copy check, you have to sign for that check and that check has to be in that bank because they're going to be checking to find out when they ask you, I, and I've seen them do it, when they ask you for a receipt, did the money go to this, this account? You have to literally fax a copy of that receipt. That's justification and compliance, okay? Um, and I, people get mad at me because I say, no, you cannot put it in your personal bank. Why? It's my nonprofit. No, it's a charitable organization and it belongs to the public. The day you became a nonprofit, you opened yourself up to be scrutinized by everybody out here just like a politician. So deal with it. And they get mad at me, and I've lost some friends over that, but then they come back and tell me I was correct. <laughs> well, you know, our compliance officer was one of the key personnel for the tribe that I work for. And trust me, I did not want her job. Because she had to... She, it, it was a fight, but people were glad she was there every year Correct. when we had our, our audit. Your audit, yes. Everything was in place. There were things that were very fixable because we had that voice of reason. Now, I was an IRS agent for five years. Mm -hmm. And the very first thing that I did as an auditor examiner was to go in and look at the systems that people had. Mm -hmm. what's in place, what sort of internal controls do you have, how does money flow through there. First thing, it, it's something I did on every audit because that told me how much testing I would have to do and how much digging I would have to do and what sort of things I'd need to look at. And it's applied. People, people wrote me a lot of large checks, many thousands, even millions of dollars, 
because they didn't have the controls in place or the systems in place to do what they're doing. And it boiled down to one example, gentleman ran three very profitable businesses. He was trying to do all the bookkeeping himself. And I looked at him, I said, and we looked at his businesses and I said, okay, I've been here a couple of times now. And the eight hours that you spend sitting here with me is costing you six or seven, $8,000. That's money that's left on the table. You could spend less than that, hire a bookkeeper, and then hire an accountant and have all of this off your plate. You give all of the information to them. They put the records together. And you, you, you're wasting thousands of dollars sitting here with me trying to comb through things. Some of it's correct. Some of it is not correct. True. <laughs> so they leave thousands of dollars on the table trying to save money, trying to do this. It's a non-starter. You're not really saving yourself. You're compromising your position by, by, by trying to do everything yourself. And so there's a whole webinar. I'm working on some different pieces on how people can keep more of their money and stay out of trouble with my old bosses. Because And, and that's a beautiful thing because, you know, when, when I have a question, you know, um, you know, when me and my husband had a question on our personal taxes, we went to the experts because we didn't know how that question should be answered. And they told us exactly what forms to fill out, what to do. I was familiar with some and the ones I wasn't familiar with, I educated myself. Same thing, same concept applies to business. You know, if you don't know, you go ask somebody. The, the IRS is free, okay? Don't cost you a dime to pick up the phone and ask a business question. And, and you know, we, there's an office in Maitland, um, not too far from where I live. They will answer your questions or direct you to the person that can. And I have always strategized and told my students, please, for the love of God, Keep your personal and your business accounts separated. Do not co-mingle the funds at all because these are two different entities that must stand on their own. And I've gotten pushback for being honest. No, you're, <laughs> you're, you're operating in integrity and, uh, and um, that's a good way to stay out of jail. Um, Beverly, we've used the word capacity early on, uh, capacity building in, in the conversation. We see, um, at least I see, Center Vision Leadership Foundation as principally being a capacity building organization that's helping build the skills and the teams and the plans to uh, achieve the mission of the organization. Um, what kind of money is available for capacity building grants or planning grants out there? There, there's a lot of available money for capacity and building grant, I mean, planning grants. I mean, I recently looked at a grant for $9 million where they actually said, you know, capacity, this is what's available out here. You know, they was, they're beginning to lay it out in some of the grants that I'm sitting down reviewing even now. And there, there's a lot of money on the table. Um, one thing I've noticed about some of the grants I review, and a lot of people are not paying attention, uh, when you go on grants.gov and you look at the bottom of the grant in the left-hand corner, there is a name and a phone number. And that name and phone number is the person controlling that grant or responsible for that grant being awarded to the right entity. And they are there to help you get over some hurdles. But in capacity and planning, because... You know, Russell knows, you know, you know, 25 years ago, they were not asking us for this. Now, fast forward 25 years down the road, they want it. And I always preach to my, build your capacity resume, what you've done in the community, where are you going? Who are you collaborating with? Who are you partnering with? Because it's going to be to your advantage down the road. Now you do have some organizations like churches that do not want to work with other churches because there's bad blood. But I have to reposition them and show them, let's put all that aside because working with this church is only going to help you both 
get what you want. And they have said to me, well, I was a little resistance at first, but now I'm going to do it. And I said, well, trust me, it works to your advantage. So the capacity and planning is key. It is very important. What we've got to do, we've got to learn to work together. And where you're weak, the other person in the wheelhouse, in that wheelhouse is strong and it brings it together. And it's a win-win for everyone, especially those in the community that are less fortunate than ourselves. You're preaching. That's why we got the name Center Vision. It's the synergy of the common vision. And we do, treat, we do train people to be collaborative and cooperative. We're ending, uh, we're coming up to the end of our podcast. I wanted to, uh, for people watching this on video, um, I've got a flyer. People are watching the, are listening to the podcast. It'll be in the notes. Um, the second annual Grant Writers of America Nonprofits and Small Business Conference 2019. It's May 3 and 4, 2019. Now, uh, podcast listeners might be listening to this after it's over, but I'm sure you'll have more than one. Um, tell us a little bit about this event, and we're going to be offering tickets. Uh, we're going to be pr promoting this uh, through CenterVision uh, as, as in participating and helping you launch this. It's going to be in Orlando, Florida. So just tell us a little bit of reason. We're going, i got four minutes left, and I want to give you a parting thought. But just give us a little description of this and why you're offering it. Well, we're offering it because there, there's a tremendous need in Orlando and people just, they don't understand what really goes into a grant and how to put things together. And they, the biggest issue is capacity. Um, we're doing this to honor our veterans. We're going to raise the proceeds and we're going to give a portion of our proceeds back to a veteran organization. I decided to bring in some of the best in the business. Um, you know, Libby, Libby Hyken, she is the CEO of Grant Watch. Shandra uh, Buttstring is a nonprofit expert. Pete Clark, District 3, Lee Cockrell, Disney. Angela Tony McConnell worked on HIV grants. And Tracy Quinn is a mastermind. And I decided to assemble all of them and say, hey, we need to come together. Even comedian Shula King is going to bring the laughter for two days. And just say, this is a two-day conference. The tickets are $150. Get them now because, you know, it's needed. And we, the veterans we are going to support, have decided to wear their uniforms for this event. Awesome. And that's awesome. That's awesome. what I'm proud of. So I'm gonna, I'm going to um, give a short sponsor moment here. Throw it back to you for a closing thought, and then Russell will close out the interview here. Our sponsor for nonprofit, uh, the nonprofit exchange. I forgot what we call this for a minute. Um, is is Word Sprint. WordSprint's not just a printing house, it's a mailing house. It's a marketing company that, that makes sure your, your, your company, your nonprofit, is at the top of the mind of your supporters, your stakeholders. So Bill Gilmer and his team teach you how to mail a, the right frequency to the right person and have the right message so that your donors stay donating. Your stakeholders continue to volunteer and work on your boards. So it's, it's a matter of that relationship building that's ongoing. People gave to you one time, they're going to give again if you tell them what's happened with their money. So Word Sprint, like fast, wordsprint.com, uh, you can get a free consultation. So Beverly, before Russell closes out this really great interview, what closing thought would you like to leave with nonprofit leaders? The closing thought I would like to leave with nonprofit leaders is this. If you don't know, ask. Um, working together in collaboration is beneficial to all parties. And most of all, the funding is out there. And I will always 100% support our veterans. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, thank you, Beverly. And thank you, Dana, for joining us. Lots of food for thought here. Here's a question I think you should keep in mind when you're approaching anybody that you're looking to have give the time, talent, and treasure. The one question you might wanna ask is, how can what I'm doing make their lives easier? If you've got somebody on a funding notice that you can talk to, don't hesitate to ask them questions. Build those relationships so that you become top of mind the way that Bill Gilmer uh, helps us stay top of mind here at Center Vision. So you're out there, you're providing valuable service, be open to collaborating, 
and be open to learning new things. And you'll get a lot more done if, uh, if you do that. If nobody's obsessed with who gets the credit. Absolutely. So, so this is Russell Dennis uh, here for the Nonprofit Exchange brought to you by Cinevision Leadership Foundation. Thank you for joining us. Uh, as always, uh, Beverly, uh, Sandy's always looking for articles for the Nonprofit Performance, Professional Performance 360 magazine. We don't tell people up front because it seems like we're really piling on and getting a lot of work. So we hit them with that at the end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because we 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 love to have uh, have your thoughts documented. So thank you all again for joining us. All our friends out here on Facebook will be here at the same time next week, where we'll bring you another thought leader that can help you spread your impact and make a difference in the world around you. Thank you, friends. <laughs>